Mario, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Jake. Um, John, your voice, man. Yeah, you too, brother. Hey, can you tell me about John Fox's first acid trip? <laughs> Who? I mean, that's not the that's not the NFL coach, is it? No. Okay. No, no. Well, that would be a great story. Yeah, that would be. Coach Fox's Coach Fox's first acid trip. Um, no, actually, um, it, it's just a funny story. It was just, uh, it, uh, I was um, two years younger than my sister. Um, and she hung out with guys that were generally a year or two older than her. And, um, but I started, I started, uh, smoking pot and then, uh, and then taking acid by the time I was 11. I was taking acid regularly. And, um, so there were a lot of, 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 of people that wanted to try acid, but, but, um, well, the word around was you know, you'd usually try and do it with someone who's done it before or who's experienced in in in, in uh, having taken it a number of times. So, a lot of um, John Fox wanted this friend of my sister's who's a couple years older than her. So he's probably uh, let's see. At this point, I was in junior high, so I was maybe twelve. He was probably around sixteen. I, I know he drove, so he was at least sixteen. And um, he, he wanted to take acid, and he wanted uh, me to take him on his first acid trip. Yeah, right. So uh, <laughs> this, this, uh, this um, uh, let's see what, my mom was out of town for, so oh, she was up visiting my grandmother. So we were home alone with my dad, who, as I told you, had his rage issues. And, and uh, so um, in the afternoon, my dad usually didn't get home from work till about 6. So in the afternoon, about 4 o'clock, John Fox comes over and I've got the acid and we we take we take the LSD and uh, was it liquid or was it tabs? This was liquid. Liquid, yeah. We're gonna have yeah. to get into that later uh, on. Continue. Yeah. So I think yeah. Yeah, I think I think we probably took around two hundred mics, and um, so a pretty good hit. And um, he uh, so we we do get to do the first part of him coming on and stuff outside, which is sunny and nice and. And, uh, but sure enough, you know, after probably an hour, hour and a half of tripping, he, uh, my dad comes up the driveway. Oh, man. And oh, so, man. well, I knew this was going to happen, but I hadn't really thought about what I was going to do about it. See, I, I, knew, I knew he was coming home, but I didn't really <laughs> plan ahead. So what we ended up doing was taking John, uh, downstairs. My room was downstairs, the, the living area of the house, main area of the house was upstairs. So... My bedroom was downstairs with a bathroom that was uh, kind of a little jog around the corner and through a door to to this next to a workshop downstairs. So, so I put John in my bathroom, <laughs> and for the for the entire his the whole first four <laughs> hours while he's peaking on acid. Oh man, he's in oh, my bathroom. Oh man, a lot of mirrors in there. And and I'm trying to. I'm trying to stay with him, which means I'm conspicuously not around upstairs. So I'm having to try and like make runs upstairs and say hi, Dad, and blah blah blah, and then go back downstairs. <laughs> and um, of course, it is, so at this point, you know, John is is relegated to the bathroom, so he makes himself comfortable. He's sitting on the toilet lid with his feet in the sink, 
and he's just kind of, you know, doing the, you know, moving his hands in front of his eyes and watching the tracers and stuff. And, and we're talking and bullshitting downstairs. And I'm making, about every 20 minutes, I'm making a run upstairs just to show my face. And, uh, of course, the inevitable happens. One time I go upstairs to uh, show my face, and my dad stands up and bolts to the stairs and says, what is going on down there? Oh, man. <laughs> it is Italian accent, right? Oh, and and I go run for the stairs, and I'm trying to get around him, and he won't let me pass oh, him. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes downstairs, and he opens the shop door, and then he reaches to the bathroom door and swings it open, and there's John Fox <laughs> sitting on the toilet with his feet in the sink, <laughs> with his hand in front of his face, you know, yeah. <laughs> doing the Facing, yeah, he's facing. And facing. he looks over like an ostrich, you know, it was just, <laughs> it was hysterical. Anyway, so, so, um, oh. make a long story short, Dad says, get your asses upstairs, I'm going to chew you out for a while, right? So we have to go upstairs and sit in front of my father, who's who's got these giant hands, and, and his hands at that point look like baseball mitts, right? They're just huge, and he's pointing fingers, and, and they're just like flying past us in 3D, and, and his face, I remember his face had just had universes uh, swirling across oh, it, right? And, and and we're trying not to just bust up. Yeah, and, right, you know, right, right, no, I did, to, I did. I'm serious, oh my God, Jake, it was so fun. And then so finally, he, he ends up chewing us out, and then wants to hug us, which was pretty scary, and then uh, sends us off to bed. So we go down to my bedroom, and we just laid on the on my bed in the dark for the rest of the night. And uh, uh, I had this image of John Fox's face in neon green floating in front of my head for <laughs> the last, next three or four hours. I don't know how long. Where, where was your those. sister during this whole time? She was with my. Um, she was with my mom. Okay, so so but so they were. It was her boyfriend, would you say, or just a guy she was friends with? Uh, he was just a guy she knew. They, I think they ended up dating or something. But, uh, right. So yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that your dad never even like he he wasn't even aware of LSD, right? I mean, he never really even no, knew. No, he was very aware of LSD. He was. How did he become first aware of? Was it your brother? How did he know about LSD? Well, it was it was a big topic in the news, you know. People were taking a lot of LSD. It was it was. Very can you much talk news. as best you can for somebody like me? And I think it's important. Uh, we talked in one of our first conversations about the summer of '66. But what was in the news about it? The fact that it was legal. The fact that it was uh, that. I mean, well, I mean, I'd love you to paint this picture of what it was being. What we, what were they talking about? Well. First of all, the first thing they talked about was making it illegal because it was initially not illegal when it first was being uh, tested and and, and uh, experimented with. It was not an illegal substance. Absolutely. So, so the first news was that there's this drug. People are doing it a lot. They're they're we're running into problems with uh, the counterculture abusing it and. Um, uh, um, and, you know, uh, Art Linkletter's daughter jumped off a building thinking she could fly, and, and you know, that was a big story. And so it it became touted as dangerous and in the news. And, and, and um, Let me ask you and, a question. I want to ask you a question. This is important. The uh, Did they explain before Linkletter, I never even knew that story, but before the they started to tie to the counterculture as a nefarious thing. Did they explain why it was legal to begin with, and, and how easily accessible was it 
uh, Dave Getz, the drummer from uh, Big Brother, said that there was a place called the League for Internal Freedom. This is around 65. And if you had a card, you can go and get it. But, you know, I know that you had the Swiss the Swiss neighbor, the Swiss pharmaceutical person. But, I mean, right. did they yeah. explain, was it clear why it was legal? I mean, obviously they wanted to do it because to, uh, as a truth serum, they thought for prisoners of war or something like that. Uh, Every got- new compound is legal. Every new compound starts out legal. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, it, uh, then uh, you know, for it to become marketed it has to be tested and cert and and, and and okayed by the fda but um every initially every compound like every baby is is sin free you know sure. uh all chemicals that are compounds that are manufactured are initially legal until they are found to be a problem of some kind right yeah so they they you know it was very early on but nevertheless it had been. It was being produced, and it was still legal, and people were taking it. Yeah. So. So the, continue on. How? I mean, this is fascinating. This is so interesting. You were so young at such a young age. Uh-huh. You were privy to some of the most pure, purest acid. I mean, in comparison to me, in college, I didn't do acid till college, and by that point, sometimes it was a hit, a really nice hit, and sometimes it was a sugar cube that had speed in it, and was all yeah, yeah. funky, but I mean... Belladonna, a lot of Belladonna, that shit was horrible. Oh my god, I mean, uh, bad trips, uh, you know, and sometimes your constitution just can't really handle it, but I mean, can you talk about um, how you got, originally at 11 years old, got access to bottles of liquid acid? Well, um, it... it, it uh, uh, I was... T- I didn't have access to the, to the liquid till I was probably... 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. So I was taking, like, usually most of the time I would take, I was taking barrel tabs of orange sunshine. I know that one one Christmas, this was pretty funny, one Christmas, um, <laughs> I had asked for a slot car set for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was, you know, to probably 10 or 11. It was for one of my first few trips. And um, um, so the night before Christmas, I decided that um, I was going to set my alarm for 5 a.m., Take a full bar- barrel tab of orange sunshine, which was four, which was four hits. I'm and, sorry, that's and so I was ridiculous. Gonna, and then I was going to go back to sleep and wake up peaking on Christmas morning. Sure. This, this was my idea of sure. a fun Christmas. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was in hindsight, this is terrifying to me that I, that a young child would be doing shit like this. Well, you know what it is? I think it's very creative that you actually, uh, the idea of trying to fall back asleep is beyond me, but go ahead. I mean, go, yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, it totally, totally worked. It totally worked. I had my little Sony clock radio and it, it came on at five. I had the barrel tab you know, stashed in my, by my comic books and I took the barrel tab and I went back to sleep and when my mom woke me up, man, I was fucking, I was flying, man. Oh. I mean, I was so high. And, uh, and and then of course, what do I get for Christmas? Slot cars. I don't know if you've ever seen a slot car when you're tracing, you know, peaking on acid, man. But it's it's pretty wild. Yeah. It was it was next to impossible to to control them, you know, because they were so they were just there's hundreds of them on the track. I only had two, but it looked like thousands of them, you know. So it was just <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, it's like it's like what you were talking about before. Why you walked away from classical music because the 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 orchestra conductor his baton started to look like a fan blade. Right. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yep. Tra- trails. Yeah, so. Trails everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, You're right. Right. This is like, um, how did you truly though? How did you um? Gain access to the liquid? No, no, no. Well, that that we can get to that. Oh, but I, I, I'm more to the point. Like, I mean, the idea that like I just in general, how did you not, how did you not bug out in front of your parents when you were tripping that hard? I know I did. You know, I think I think it, I have to think that there was some denial at work there with my folks. Something it had to be. I mean, I know. I try and put myself in the, in fact, when my kids were around that age, I started thinking about, you know, what would I do? Or, or I was their age when I was doing these things, and I, and I know that I wasn't innocent like they were at 10 and 11. I, I was, somehow I was different. And I, 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 part of it might have been exposure. I was, I was um, already, you know, playing electric, electric, and so I was playing with people 10 years older than me, you, you know, generally, and certainly frequently. And um, and and um, and I aspired to be my brother, who was a, you know, a, a, at that time. So you know, he was eleven years older than me. So, so if I aspired to be like my brother, I aspired to be a long-haired, uh, acid-taking musician. <laughs> that's what, that's what I that's with a what huge I to be. with a huge rig. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Um, um, uh, and as far that, yeah, so, so that's, that's the, all I can say is that, 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 that was my, my role model. He was my idol it was working fine for him and all these, and fa- you know, all the, you know, every time we go to one of his shows, there were thousands of people on acid period. That's just the way it was. And it was pretty obvious. And it, what, how my parents didn't, didn't just bust me on it or, or accuse me of it ever, never, ever, never, never. I was never, no one ever sat me down and said, I know you're doing drugs or never, nothing, nothing. So I don't, I honestly, maybe they were just climatized to it because we went to the shows all the time and everybody acted weird. So, so why wouldn't their kids act weird? I don't know. I, I couldn't actually tell you. Um, was I, was I good at maintaining myself? Yeah, I was damn good at it, you know, really good at it. My, uh, you my talk about how you ca- talk about how you kept it together constitutionally. I think that is absolutely uh, paramount because I mean you're you're already putting yourself on a high wire. You know, going out with musicians ten years older uh, than you are, taking acid at an early age, but keeping yourself together like that. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, man. I've thought about it a lot, Jake. I, I, I. I Honestly, and you know, I thought about it in a lot of different contexts too. Like, how much, what role has that did the LSD taking play in my my uh, psychiatric difficulties? I don't know. I can't say. I, I don't know. Uh, how did I not get caught by my folks? <clears throat> I think that more that has more to do with their denial than my <clears throat> acting abilities. Although I was pretty damn good at covering my myself, I I, I, I remember being good at it. And, um, and, um, my, since my dad had that rage quality, I I must say that we were taught from a very early age how to get around my dad by, and my mom taught us that. And I, I I don't say that in, in in an accusatory way, but, 
but she felt it was necessary for us, for our, you know, kind of survival in any degree of a happy childhood to learn how to get around my dad, who was a strict disciplinarian and, and a kind of a rageaholic. So, um, this doesn't make, this, this is, we learned at an early age to read parents and, and, and skate, skate, you know, skate around, you know, dodge, you know, but he, but just to be clear, he knew, he knew about LSD because it was in the news, but he never yeah. even assumed that you guys were, were taking it, or maybe he just, just I mean, because this, I mean, this is a cocktail for I mean, a, a, a strict disciplinarian, total anti-drug, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, you know, totally kids that are you know way off the grid. I, I, it's amazing to me how this stuff comes together and, and works out the way it does. Amazing. Well, Jake, we a couple years later, when I was fourteen, I think I told you about the Studio X sessions. It was my my brother had just quit had quit Quicksilver. This was in nineteen seventy. Hmm. <clears throat> he had quit Quicksilver, and and they they were living in Hawaii recording, and he left the band, came home, brought one of the S the Studer eight track two inch uh, tape recorders that they were had that Capitol had leased for them, brought one of them home, put it in his living room, built a, a makeshift studio there, and wanted to just, just do a bunch of recording. And he wanted me to be the bass player. So, uh, uh, and then my mom really, you know, I told mom and she liked the idea and I and certainly never mentioned it to my father. So we had to get me down to these recording sessions that were starting anywhere between 8 and 10 o'clock at night and that were going to run all night. And, and work it around my dad. So, you know, she coached me to, to you know, uh, you know after dinner, do your homework, pretend you're going to bed, and then you, you can slip out and I'll cover for you. Wow. And I would slip out the, the bottom back door of the house and walk down to my brother's house, which was two blocks from our house, and I would walk down with my base and I would, you know, uh, meet, you know, the, the Coke dealer that was there every night for my, you know, first initial snorts and, and we'd get to playing. How and old were you at this? Were you about 15, 14, 14. 14 years. So, uh, so again, sophomore in high school, sophomore in high school, your brother splits from, from Quicksilver comes home with an eight track. He's got a, he's got a house and we're getting into the, yeah. to, to the, to the, to these uh, sessions. Continue please. Well, not really so much the sessions. I was just, gonna, I was just. We were kind of talking about how I worked around my. I was kind of t- taught to work around my dad, right? Because because of the LSD thing, and and this was just an example of of uh, how I had help getting around that. And whether my mom knew or not, I, I have to think she had her suspicions. I was pretty open with my mom later on. By the time I was fourteen, fifteen, about uh, using LSD, she didn't. I could see that it worried her, but she never scolded me or anything like that. She was a bit, a bit of an, an enabler, actually, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, yeah. But, um... She was also she a, a musician. She was a musician. She kind of understood the... Whether or not she ever acknowledged it, she must have understood the gypsy lifestyle, you know, and to some degree. I think she understood how far putting her thumb on me or anyone putting their thumb on me was going to get them. Right. I, I think she probably... Knowing herself, because she was a very rebellious young woman when she was young and and uh, so she probably just added two and two up and thought well I better support him and uh, I'm and, you know I'm I'm you know ever grateful that she did 
Do, um, do your brother? Uh, can you just talk? Spend a minute about talking about your brother. I mean, was it the idea that he, um, like how cl like your parents had children very far apart? Like they had your brother and your sister, and then they had you. Ten years apart. Yeah, eleven years difference. My my mom my mom and and her first husband had my brother and his twin, and that, that so they were eleven when I was born. Oh, so um, your your dad is not their biological father, right? But they certainly took him as their father. They they never even spoke of their father. I don't think they much knew their father because they left. Mom left him when they were very very little. Interesting. Interesting. So. As far as a father figure, my dad was it. He was there. And as far as a brother, and as far as brothers and sisters, that I didn't even know that we that they, there was another that they had another father until much later in life. You know, it was it they were it wasn't even discussed. Yeah. You, can you just talk a little bit in general about um, maybe not at that time, but looking back on the generosity of your brother musically and how much he actually believed in you? Did he ever acknowledge it verbally, or it was just basically? <sighs> He wanted, he he liked your style. I just want you to talk about his philosophy, how much it it impacted you as a young musician, how it helped you. I'd like to know more, Jake, because my brother wasn't the type of person to talk about feelings and. Uh, but through uh, his actions, uh, yeah, looking at his actions. Well, it, yeah, in, in hindsight, through his actions, he obviously believed in me. I mean, uh, he could have had anybody play bass for him. He could have asked anyone; they would have done it. You know, so the fact that he asked me, and I was certainly flattered by it, and I was, I was, uh, I, my confidence was greatly bolstered by him uh, inviting me to do those sessions because that was pretty. That was that was still early on. That was before Stone Ground and a lot of other stuff that I did, and and uh, it gave me the confidence to. In, uh, it gave me the confidence in my uh, my work that that I could pretty much. You know, if I can cut it with these guys, I can cut it. You know, um, never, never like cocky because I always felt like I had a lot to learn because I was, I was being challenged by playing with players that were much more experienced than me. I mean, when I started playing with Nick Gravenitis and Mike Bloomfield and Butterfield, those guys were coming down every night to John's house. I didn't know the first thing about the blues, not a thing, nothing. <laughs> that is so fucking badass. Can you talk and about? I listened. Yeah. What's that? No, I just really want, this is important, you know, you want, can you talk about what, how did you, how you learned that stuff, how those guys um, treated you, and, and how you, I mean, because I, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, here's, yeah, I mean yeah. it's, it's like easy, I mean, I know, uh, I just being in general, I mean, to not, to, to, to know who these figures were, and then to figure uh -huh. out like how to feel comfortable that you belong in the same space as them, um, right? Right. Can you just talk about how you were accepted? Maybe you weren't. I mean, talk about learning experiences yeah. of that, that at that time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of you know. I to, to be honest with you, like an example of that is is uh, Dan Healy. You know who Dan Healy is, the engineer. I've been looking to I've been looking to Dan. talk to that motherfucker for a long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I can get you hooked up with Dan. I, I, I need I need to talk to him. He he. I, I want to talk yeah. to him about uh, Albert Hoffman's bicycle because he was playing bass in that band for a long time. Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, Dan and I are still close, but mm. even though we're close, and I'm an adult here, I am. I'm sixty something years old, and Dan <laughs> to me is still uh, my kind of mean older brother. 
because hmm. he, he was he was he was one guy that never gave me a fucking inch of slack. You know, like if I was acting like a kid and it was, you know, he would be all up in my shit about it. You know, he was not forgiving like everybody else seemed to be. You know, because maybe and, he and, yeah, and, that's and, interesting. Yeah. Well, he was, and he so he was Quicksilver's engineer before he ever worked for the Dead. He was their engineer for years. I don't think I even uh, knew that. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he he helped design John's amp rig. Sure, he was the, the the main designer actually. John's amp between John and Dan. That that's how that system came to be. Um, which means that Dan Healy made the first guitar pedal board ever made, and, and, and numerous other. I mean, he's a he's a real innovator. You know. Um, oh my uh, God, Healy dude, that but, is sick. So yeah. the, but but even so so but. But he wasn't. He, so what I was gonna, yeah. He, go no, I. I mean, I. I, I talked to. Uh, you probably know the engineer uh, from Fantasy, Jim Stern. Sure. Okay, so Sterno said that. Uh, I mean, he just said that. I don't. I wonder if Healy just was. I mean, he obviously, was a genius technologically, but I'm not sure if he was ever really in the same musician class as the other, like Butter or you know. No. Bloomfield. No. Maybe he was just an insecure guy, but he really did treat you like a kid. I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still, I have, a, <laughs> whenever I, I'm going to go see him or if I'm ever going to call him or write to him, I, I always immediately become <laughs> 10 years old and and slightly fearful. And I've told him that. I told him, I said, you know, I, I just, I'll, I'll always be a, a punk kid, you know, my brother's little snotty-nosed little brother in, in, in my eyes to you. You know, I, I just can't shake it. It's permanent. You know, I, I wish it wasn't there because I think he and I would be able to be a lot closer. But I can't, I, I can't get, I can't get there. I can't get on an even footing with him in my in my mind and my heart and stuff. I just can't do it. Hmm. It's just the way it was. So, but but that but so but that's an example of 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 um, part of how I negotiated that those fields was that you know for one thing Dan was there from day one when we started doing those sessions, so I always had someone kind of to watch out for, you know, cause I knew that it's not that he was an enemy, but he wasn't going to give me any slack. He was a tough guy. And, and, and whereas, you know, my brother, somebody else might not give a shit if I acted like a kid, you know, Dan certainly did. And, and, and I, and in a funny way, you know, you know, you mentioned, Oh boy, I better watch it here. Um, yeah. you mentioned dance chops, you know, to someone who's a, a well-known engineer and also a, a, he was known as a musician also to have some punk kid in there, you know, playing rings around him. I, that, you know, maybe, they, maybe there was a weird, you know, no, I'm telling you, man, there, you I, cause I mean, listen, I, I, I know for, I did that interview with Stern and he, I mean, Healy had aspirations to be, he, they eventually took Lesh, but I think Healy wanted that gig. He just didn't have the chops. I guarantee you he, yeah, was, probably. he was a little bit insecure that here's this young acid freak Mario Cipollina, you know, acting like a 13-year-old, and he's, you know, again, he, he had his yeah. role, but he really did want to be a musician, I think. I think so, too, and that's the case with a lot of engineers, and and. Sure. and Bus drivers and truck drivers and you know you name it. Yeah, athletes. Yeah, people, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people in the in the crews, you know, are, are, want want to be there and 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 aren't. Man, some of them are bitter about it. Some of them aren't. You know, we, we had a bus driver try to kill us because he he was so jealous. He watched us go from you know nobody to somebody big, and and it drove him crazy. You know, he he tried to, you know, he. 
he tried, he took a bunch of that guy, that bus driver who I just mentioned was jealous, took a bunch of uh, tranquilizers and 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 was drinking at the wheel while we were sleeping the bus. He was trying to commit suicide oh with us sleeping the bus. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that was a scary. That was one. was, was that, that was well, with the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back to this, so I, this that, is so fascinating. I mean, I mean, do you believe that that again? We're going back to the physiology part of it, but the, make the, a note of that bus thing because we should get to that someday. You know, oh no, we will get to that. Yeah, no, we're, we're yeah, I'm yeah. making. I'm, I got a, I got a whole bunch of uh, the bus, the tranquilizer bus driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the oh. do you believe? You talked about that that feeling of invincibility before the crash. When you you know you get to this fearlessness, this you can do anything. You got, you know, your 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 soldering stuff. But did that fearlessness come in? Was it just? What's the right? What am I trying to say? I mean, did that start with your brother at those sessions? That that ability, that feeling of, uh, especially if you were tripping out and playing music with guys that were much older than you. I mean, that's, that, what was that, how did that leave an imprint on you looking back on it? I mean, that most, I don't know many cats that had that experience. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, I think that was a big, I, w w the, my, I think the first inkling of, of, um, of um, self-confidence was, uh, was uh, when I was taking, when I was playing classically, I was, and I started, you know, was playing string bass. I had to go to bass lessons every week, and and I I didn't like practicing, so I didn't practice very much. And sometimes I'd go a week and not practice at all. But but um, but I would I would always get better, and um, and it it really bothered my teacher. In fact, she had a number of talks with my mom about you know getting me to. to to practice more because my my natural ability was keeping me from uh, being dutiful with, with practice. I understand. And, and I have a concern with students now that I teach when they're when they have a certain amount of natural ability, they seem to work less at it, which means that they're setting themselves up to be less of a technically capable because they're just sliding on their natural ability, which I did. You know, there, there's a lot of things I would like to be able to do on the bass that had I been a, a, a better at practicing and learned more diligence, I would be a much more technically proficient player. There would be things that I have don't have access to now that I would have access to. And that, you know, uh, that's the disadvantage, I think, of having a really natural ability and a really uh, being, you know, I'll say this, I, if I was gifted with anything, it's having a good ear. I can, I can hear stuff, you know, and I'm a good listener. And that's, that's pretty much how I made it through all those kind of tougher situations, like playing with my brother. How did I learn to play blues, you know, fast? I listened. You know, I listened to what they were doing, and I could hear what I was doing that wasn't that wasn't uh, making sense with it. And and um, um, like I've got some some recordings of those sessions, and you can hear when I first started playing with with, with when when Bloomfield and Butterfield and, and Nick were coming down early on. I, I wasn't I wasn't getting it, man. I, I was I was doing rock stuff over blue stuff, and and it, and it was a little. They were pretty nice to put up with it for the whatever amount of time it took me to figure out some some more appropriate patterns, you know. Um, but but you know, 
because I, they didn't give me the boot, and I was and I was given enough time to be there and 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 use my ear. I was a, a, adapting and learning quickly, you know. So the, and that that's I think is that that was just another example to me that that my ear worked and it was my my friend and and um, and I've always considered that to be my strong suit. That's why. I, I like jamming so much. I'm good at it because I listen. That's right. You know? I dig. Did, did yeah. you... Um, I transcribed this interview I did with Pete Sears. And oh, good. Really? He, well, I talked to him a long time ago, and we, we needed to do another interview. He's such a sweetheart. But we he was... Yeah. He told me this session. He told me about this. The first time he met Garcia, uh, wound up going down to, I think it was K-San, and you were on bass. Jerry, right. Jerry was on. I, yeah, that was. Jerry, was I on, put that session together. You want to talk? Can you talk? Because Jerry, I think, was on pedal steel. Your brother was there. I don't. I, yeah. Can you yeah, talk? Yeah. That was real, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. How'd that happen? It was amazing. Well, uh, as you know, I was friends of the Donahue's family, and Donahue was the the, the boss of of K San. So originally awesome. KMPX, and then he and then he took 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 over K San, and that became his baby. And the nighttime DJ down there, the 10 to 4 guy or whatever, uh, who, who was a great guy, a guy named Richard Gossett. And he was good friends of, of Big Daddy's. And um, so I met Richard and knew him well, actually, uh, 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 before I ever went to KSAN. And uh, <coughs> so um, I, by that time, I'm, I'm playing with Stoneground. And, um, so I got a little credibility, you know, and, and, um, and I knew every, I knew all these guys, right? So, so I, I told Pete and my brother and John told Jerry and, uh, and on drums, I had Mickey Waller who played the original drummer from the faces. Wow. Um, and, and Jeff Beck group, he was a, the drummer on, uh, on, uh, Jeff Beck's first album. And so I had him on drums and, um, and Pete came and played keys and uh, who had finished uh, the gasoline alley thing and finally came back. That was, you know, after I already, you know, covered for him and got that job. But so, so I, I had this idea, Richard, Richard and I were talking at Donahue's house one day and, and, and he said, well, so he said, you know, do you know how long it's been since anyone's done a live broadcast in studio of, of any live music? And I said, no, he said, it's been since the forties. Really? I guess was, that's what he said. I I don't know. You no, know that, that that's what he said, insane. and I certainly hadn't heard of any. You know, in studio. Now we're talking. There's a difference between you know, uh, remote and in studio. Absolutely, studio, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so he and he really wanted to try this, and and, uh, and he knew that I was kind of a technician. I don't. I haven't told you this, but I was a uh, the apprentice for an electronics engineer and inventor named Alan Fitzgerald. He's one of the inventors of radar. He he had the patent for the electric eye, and he had two books of U.S. patents, two full bind books, you know, hard bound books. And he was a really cool old Eng English man. And I started working with him when I was ten. Wow! So I I had learned a lot about electronics by the time you know a few years later, and so so Richard and I were talking about this this live broadcast idea and um, and uh, and I had been doing sessions at my brother's so I had uh, you know um, uh, John's ear and I had also seen how to put together a Jerry rigged recording setup 
because uh, John had done it at his house. So I asked my brother, I said, can I borrow those Sony mixers that we're using, uh, you know, and bring them over to KSAN and, and kind of rig it together and, and, and we could play live. Would that be cool? You know? And he said, sure. So I packed up all the adapters and, 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 uh, and the Sony mixers and my brother and all, and all these guys. And we all went over to KSAN one night. Um, I went early set up the, the the gear and somehow made it work. I was probably on acid. I, I assume I was. Mm -hmm. I always was. Um, <laughs> but, um, and we played, we did a recording, a, a, a live broadcast in the, in the studio from KSAM with a full band. It's, there's I mean, a, yeah, there's a soundboard of it on, on the internet. There is? Yes. Yes. I've been looking for it because I had the tape. In fact, I have a note that I put on, because I used to leave notes on the door for my mom. If I'd had a late night or something, I'd leave a note saying, a, a note saying ah, I was up all night, don't wake me up, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, that, and that night, I have the note, somewhere I have the note that, that, that my, my mom saved, the note that I'd left for it. said, Mom, session was amazing. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I've got, the, don't worry, I've got the tapes. Oh. That was my note to my mom. Don't don't wake me. Don't worry. I've got the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> As if, yeah. She, I mean, she's jonesing for those. No, I'll get you the link to that because I mean, you can download oh, it too. Please, yeah. yeah oh no. my god, I'd, I'd give anything to hear. I can't even imagine. I I can't even imagine what we what we did. What we did. Did you ever I, listen? I, I, I mean, did you listen? Did you listen back? Did you have a chance to ever listen back to it? I mean, did you hear about? Did you did you get a chance? Yeah, sure. Like, what did you yeah, think? Yeah. How did you? I mean, and you were fourteen or something at this time, or fifteen? Fifteen. If I did, we did that session. I'm pretty sure I was fifteen. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, were you at that point? Like, did did, did you like? Did you feel like you should? Like, your your the recording was good. You you felt like you sounded good. You felt comfortable in the room and everything. I mean, that was, essentially you weren't playing with. So who was in the? I was I was proud of it. I remember I remember thinking, man, we we pulled that off. You know, it was it was definitely not shit. It was there was good. There were definitely good moments. Uh, uh, how technically, I don't know how many buzzes and hums there might have been. I, I assume there's some. Uh, I'm gonna go dig that I, up I, right I, after this. I'm gonna send that to. Oh you man, immediately. I want to hear it. Right no after, man, this man. is this is. Yeah, I was gonna say because. Not too soon after that, it started to become kind of trendy. If you guys really were the first since the '40s, I remember seeing yeah. a lot of K-San stuff after, right after '70 or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then people started doing like regular. Um, there was a thing uh, live from the record plant. I, I can't remember what the radio station was doing that. Um, there was one you know, where, where they were broadcasting out of the record plant in Sausalito. Um, and that was a weekly show, and yeah, there were a number of them. Yeah, there's a, a Pacific a Pacific High Recorders, Pacific High Recordings. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, so yeah. there was a bevy of stuff. You know, I mean, the, I just uh, I wanted you to just talk, like, just riff on this quote and how it relates to uh, how it relates to you. I, um, I you might have heard of the percussionist M. Tume. Did, did yeah. you, you ever hear of that cat before? I haven't. I have. I, I think I've heard him, but I, I honestly don't. I couldn't. I, I probably couldn't place him in a crowd at the moment. No, I mean, of course, he he was a percussionist with Miles Davis. He's Jimmy Heath's son. He's he he's he did a whole bunch of. He retired in '97. Okay. You know, he, heavy uh, his stuff is heavily sampled. But he he said, I just he goes, 
he goes, we have become sonically lazy. He said, the only cat who ever broke out of the box was Sun Ra. The rest of us, I don't care what avenue we take, we're still in that box. And he goes on to talk about uh, being more inventive, creating new instruments. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk about your evolution sonically, like how, how you became more sonically aware? Uh, I, I mean, did the LSD have a lot to do with that? Is there something that, because you guys were, like you talk about Healy and your brother were building those guitar pedal boards and you know you were you yeah, were yeah. you were steeped yeah. in electronics i mean basically if you take a background in electronics and then you're you're yeah. you're, you're you're drinking orange sunshine liquid acid you're going to be sonically huh. expanded right yeah i mean can you just talk well, about I how you my, i designed the, the amp that i used with Soundhole for years i it was an amp i designed and, and that a, a friend of mine who was an engineer built it for me um it was the first op amp I have, I've ever heard of, the first digital amplifier I've ever heard of being used. In fact, I hadn't heard of one being used for years after that. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I was using a digital amplifier when I was 13, 14. And, uh, did you, like, did, I guess maybe the question more is, like, how did you learn to increase the sonic nature of the music in your I'm in the live setting, well, like, like, how did you learn to do that? Uh, not necessarily Sun Ra, I, but I don't think I, I don't think I pushed any envelopes early on. You know, I think the most envelope pushing I've done was in the, the ten years that I was working on that solo stuff that I was doing, which was, uh, um, I just that was just I wanted to make an album that just was bass, and I wanted to see how many different sounds, how how many different roles a bass could fill. You know, which is, which you know, which started off with playing a seven-string bass for starters. It's a little bit of a stretch, and um, and and then uh, uh, I, I also wanted to make an album where where every track was a perfor a full performance. Like like you and I were talking about that some of the stuff that you heard of my solo album, and you said you know it sounded overdone, and 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 part of the that reason for that is that. I, I wanted I, I wanted to I wanted to cover a lot of ground with the bass and so um, and I but I I didn't want to use any digital editing and that or or punching I wanted because that's one I'm, I was rebelling against the 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 contemporary uh, insistence on using digital editing and. Um, and uh, and uh, copying and pasting tracks. Yeah, you know I, yeah, I mean, Pro people, Tools. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I just refused to do it. I wouldn't. And and so one of my one of my two goals were that it's only going to be bass and drums, and the, and that if any sound I want has got to be made with a bass, and it's got to be every track, since I can only do one, you can only play one thing at a time. So I mean, I couldn't do it all at once, but. Any track that I did was a complete performance from beginning to end. I never stopped and backed up and, and punched in, which is why it took ten years to make it because it, it's hard. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard. It's a lot easier to you know everybody at least punches in. You know, like you make a mistake and you can go back and, and then pop in and and grab it, hit record, and go over the, the shitty little mistake, and then punch out and have the rest of it there, you know, like make a little, you, you, you're aware of what I'm talking about, punching in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's, and that's, that's not considered even cheating, that's just normal, 
and but I I I really wanted to, be, but I there's something about a track that is a performance that I value, and that I think that that everyone has grown to absolutely disavow any value in it, and 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 uh, so that was part of the album was an exercise in saying fuck that, you know, and. Um, uh, and it, it, it took, it took, it was hard. It was hard to make a bass sound like a, a squeeze box, you know, <laughs> without any digital synthetics or, of any kind. You know, it's hard. It's, it took a lot of goofing around. It I want to, you know, I, I, this is really, this just popped into my head, but it's like really, and I just want you to throw all the modesty out the window, but. I doubt if I answered your question, but I don't even remember what the question was. Sorry. No, no, we're just we're just having a jam. It's it's so there really it was it was uh, I I found that quote from M two May M two May. what's crazy is I call he, he I called him this morning because he's um, he's very close with Doctor Cornell West. You know that professor at Princeton. Um, I don't know. Who well, he's a, the big Afro, very outspoken guy. If you saw him, you you know who he was. But um, uh, I call up M two May and he calls me back and. He's in the fucking hospital because he can't move his legs. And I told him about your story oh, no. about the... I don't know if think they had a stroke, but they want to do like four MRIs on him. It's just... It, I mean, this life uh, is so fleeting. But I, did you... It is. I hate that. It, well, it, well, but we're still here, so we need to we need to hit it. But I, I think yeah. that yeah. even though... So you, as best you can, did you feel that, um, that you wanted to... You know, I when I Miroslav Vichua said that uh, when Weather Report started, you know, I mean, he's an arrogant German cat, obviously, we're, you know, to a degree, but he said, you know, you know, he, the difference with him is he was adding a voice to the music. He wasn't keeping the rhythm. He was adding his own voice. And when you're, when you're coming around with Stanley Clark and you're coming around with, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Richard Laird or or uh, or, or Miroslav. I mean, did you feel like uh, in that, you know, that uh, Copperhead period, obviously you talked about playing before blues, fast blues, but did you ever feel like you were also really trying to kind of do a Jocko Pastorius kind of thing in, your, in the Mario Cipollina sense where you wanted to speak and have your voice heard? As opposed to just locking the groove. In in a way, I still do. In a way, I still do. You know, I I, I tell you, Jake, I I, I, I uh, this is a I was just talking with somebody about this. I feel I'm I'm really grateful to have had the success that I've had with my you know my band and stuff and but. Uh, there's, there, you know, and I'm on a lot of product out there. You know, there's a lot. We made a lot of albums. We sold a lot of albums, and and um, but um, there's nothing that, that I've. There's no no body of work of mine, or, or even uh, there's no track that is a base track of mine that's been recorded and released that I am completely that I think exposes what what I love about my playing. Really, or what I think is. Yeah, yeah, no, wow. nothing. You know, and and that's that's a little bit of a frustration, being that I'm you know kind of getting in the twilight of my career. And, you know, it probably ain't going to happen, and that's a, that's a bit of a frustration to have gained all this notoriety and not and feel like no one even knows what I can do. Well, okay, know? so let, let, let's just focus on what is in your mind 
can you target a couple of things? Because you do, you do, you're pretty hard on yourself. I mean, can you talk about it's a couple? It's an attitude. It's a, there's an attitude that I have about about bass that that and uh, and, and music that that uh, I've had to suppress for my whole career uh, because it didn't fit in the pop. It, it certainly didn't fit with he was listening to news, and um, and so I just stuffed it, and it's been stuffed, and and uh, and uh, that's what comes out when I play with Kenny. And, and I, I've never even sent you any of that stuff, have I? No, not any yet. Jam stuff. Not well, I yeah. That, man. I, I I just I just I've, I've gone through so many things, and I to to get ready to send them to you, and I keep thinking, oh, he doesn't want to listen to this, you know, just because it's 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 so stream of consciousness, and it's so. But 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 in there lays I think if you and I will send you something I will send you some stuff and in there lays you'll you'll hear a certain naughty fuck you life is short turn this shit up kind of attitude that that I just have never been able to put forth uh, either because I it wasn't appropriate with the music which basically is why the music I've had the opportunity to record and release was not. Uh, appropriate. It wasn't. It wasn't the way to support those songs. Absolutely, so but but you have that, to be. But fuck you, dirty, dirty boy. Play it loud and play it mean. Never, never was an issue. You know, just never was appropriate. But so, but you feel like that's been expressed, just not on record. It's in the ethos. It's in this. It's it's in this. Oh yeah. Okay, so you have. Yeah, yeah I didn't think yeah, so. Yeah. Is there anything? Is there any any even before you join the news? Anything that even says, you're like, oh, that's almost what I was getting at. Is there anything that even touch, comes close to anything in any body of recorded work that even comes oh. close to what your ideal of what your naughty boy sound is? Uh, that's been released? No. Yeah, the, the mix, the mix, so. uh, the mix on that Tony Williams stuff is a disaster. You're, I can't even hear you on that shit. It, oh wait, 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 now, now you, you mentioned that there's, there's a couple of seconds in in uh, in the live <laughs> under the sky thing that that I think, yeah. Well, in fact, it's a it's a Tony Williams song, Red Alert, no, Red Alert. There's a couple of seconds in there where I just went fuck it. And I start playing chords, and really, and I blew up every piece of gear they gave me. I blew up at that show, by the way. I love it. Everything, my my entire rig was completely destroyed, and I, and I think Ronnie's was too. We were loud at that show. I mean that was a, that was there were five nights at that concert at that show, and and the other four nights were all acoustic jazz. Tony opened the the, the, the five nights with his band, which was us. It was Brian Auger, uh, Ronnie Montrose, me, Tony, and Billy Cobham, and Ronnie Montrose, and 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 we had a wall. We you know. A, an eight foot tall wall of amps across the entire stage at an acoustic jazz concert, man. People didn't know what the hell was I, I, well, you were you were you were playing upright bass? Hell no. No, I was playing electric. But so it wasn't acoustic. I mean it was electric. No, but the other four nights were. And, and, and traditionally it was McCoy Tyner night, you know, uh, it was just all very. Oh, know, other so other cats were playing acoustic jazz, but then you guys. Yeah. Oh my, that must have been. And we were so we were Tony Williams night, and Tony had always been traditional. He had never gone out. They they were expecting Tony Williams, the drummer from Miles Davis. 
Right. And we came in there as the barbarians of love. <laughs> Total barbarian. I mean, barbarians beyond the... That's what he named the band. The barbarians of love. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, we made an album that was absolutely dick in the dirt nasty, man. In fact, there, there's, a, there's a perfect example. I, all, that, all the stuff on there is, is the stuff of, of my work that I'm talking to you about, but it didn't get released because CBS was scared to death of it. They didn't, they they paid for the whole album and they shelved it. So this is different. So this is something different from flying or whatever that eagle one. That this is a different thing. Yeah, yeah, it never came out. You have any any you have any you have any cassettes of it or anything like that or no? You know, I had I had all the mas the, the you know mix. I had all kinds of mixed masters of it, which I lost over the years. And I somebody on the internet um, sent through Facebook sent me. Uh, four or five rough um, uh, 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 tracks, and I'll send them to you. Is there some God, some amazing shit with the barbarians of love? That's the barbarians of love. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. See, I, that's the kind of stuff I want. I want to hear that immediately. Not the band from Japan. It's Tony and me, and then there was uh, two other two other guitar players who were both into punk rock, oh. and Tony wanted them because they were punk rock, and he wanted to mix mix it up. You know, he really, he really, he was a great guy, and t and talk about being willing to stretch out and try new shit. There's Tony Williams, man. Well, you, I mean, there, there, the, the amount of sort of, you know, I know we'll get into it some other time, but the idea that you got the cold call out of the blue. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, I want to get this story right, but uh, great drummer Alan Schwartzberg, nasty studio mm. drummer uh, on the East Coast, and uh, idolized Tony, and then. Um, <coughs> Uh, yeah, I forgot the exact story. Tony was a, a, such a mercurial cat. Uh, he almost didn't ever want to be people to see him to be, to be in awe of him. He got embarrassed by that. He, he really, yeah, yeah, yeah. He really didn't want that. Like I, I think that's what it was. Like he called Alan. He's like, "Hey, man." And so Alan's floored, as you were when he called. I mean, he called Alan. This is probably going back to the, to the late '60s or something. He's like, "Hey, man, you know." You you you're you're pretty t dialed into the studio scene, you know. Uh, you know, can you get me some gigs? You know, and Alan was just like, kind of like, just freaking out. And he's like, Tony, I'd do anything for you, man. He's like, I I look, you know, anything you want, man. You know, I'll give you any, and I can hook you up. And by the end of the conversation, Tony was like, he just didn't like the way he just didn't want to feel like that he was held in that kind of respect. And he's like, no, it, it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. Uh, it it's fine. And he just hung up. Yeah, I could see that. Right, man. It was he's like a, this. He was very, very humble, very, very sweet, right. quiet guy. Um, yeah. and, and just, but just. I'm looking for the picture. In fact, the picture. The, we shot an album cover photo for 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 that album, and I'll send it to you. I have to find it. I've got it. I definitely have that somewhere though. Um, and and it's it's me and and Pete Monu, who was the band leader for Arsenio Hall's uh, show. Pete Monu, one of these punk guitar players, and the other one was Brian Marnell, who was the was a guitar player in Soundhole, who went on to have a band called SVT with uh, Jack Cassidy. That was a full blown punk band. I don't know if you ever heard them. They're a great band. No, I just find it funny because because um, Arsenio was coming to Tucson in like three days, and his and the pub his publicist just cock blocked me on an email. Fucking bitch. I want to talk to Arsenio. Oh, really? Yeah, but but here's I want to. This is this is important. I, the, I want I want you to talk to people out there. When you are not 
uh, when you are when you are in a good state of mind, or even just an even keeled state of mind, or you're operating on a normal track, why should people who suffer from manic depression in different forms not feel shame and not be afraid? Why should they not? Yes. Well, I think they better. They should be, afraid. They be judged. I just want to get back to these things. I mean, you, you're, you're from Catholic school. You were brought up that you were going to be an awful human being. Uh, the shame and 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 being afraid. I I think that this is something that you. One reason you're still on this planet is you've overcome that stuff. You continually overcome it. How do you overcome? How, talk to the other other people that will read your book about how, not even how, but why it, you have to overcome it. Why shouldn't you submit to being afraid and shamed? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Because you know what? My wife, yeah. tried, listen, a lot of times on my journey, I'll, I'll just leave you with this because I got a bolt. But, okay. you know, my wife, a lot of times, I mean, she's she's Chinese, Taiwanese, and she... She she comes from a very shaming culture, and you should feel ashamed if you don't wash a dish a certain way, or if you break something, or if you waste food. And in my case, yeah, yeah. With, with the Jake Feinberg show, I mean, it, you know, we're doing our taxes, and it's like, you know, net minus $3,000 for the year, you know? I'm like, I'm not making a lot of money. And so right. she has consistently tried to... You're getting your payout on the tail end, Jake. Uh, don't worry about it. You're, you're, getting your, you're getting your payout on the backside. Yeah, man. This, ahead, no, listen, spirit, spirit is the only currency, Mario. All right? So that's it. Yeah. But, no. you know what? Um, but she has tried to break, to not. I mean, in, in the darker times, or in, in the, she can't understand. She doesn't know who Mario Cipollina is. She doesn't know who Pete Sears is. She doesn't know, she doesn't yeah. understand any of this shit. It's too abstract for her. You see the stories I put up. I'm, it's feeding me. But she has tried. Yeah. She has tried to shame me into either going back into teaching uh, or to do something. Just very part of it is she loves me, but part of it is also saying, "Why? Why are you so unconventional? Why? Why? Why do you have to it's do?" It's also, Jake. Let's face it. A lot of it's fear. It is, and so what I'm trying to say is, all I can say is, Mario, that I want you to think about this for next time because it's an important yeah. part of the book. For me, I I have never. Every time I hear that, it doesn't necessarily make me more emboldened to move forward. It's just, I am unwavering, and I don't allow shame. I don't, I don't care that I don't put on a suit and tie and make you know, $80,000 a year. I don't care. You're not going to yeah. shame me. You are not going to shame me from stopping what my life force mission is. And I just That's think, great. That's one thing. I love that about you. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, and, 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 and then, you know, so I think I want you to, as best you can, talk about why, even if you, ha even if you are saddled or if you have some depression or anxiety or you're in fear, don't let it own you. Why? Okay, yeah, I got you, I got you. Yeah. Okay, yep. And so just think about yep. that and we'll... Uh, uh, this this week this tomorrow is not so good, but maybe Monday we can pick it up. I, I really am having a. I think let me know, Jake. Yeah. I'll I'll make myself available whenever you have time, and and if you have stuff, you know, in 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 advance like this topic that you want me to try and and be a little prepared for, you know, a heads up is great. But if not, we'll jam it like we do. But this is this 
this is working for me. I hope it's working for you. No, I think you know. I think I think we're I think we're covering. A, we're going to have a lot of stuff going on. It's 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 going to all come together. I'm re, I'm really having a ball. But it's going to say a lot to you as a writer to be able to turn this into something cohesive. I, 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 well, yeah, you just you can do it. I know you can. Let do it, it let it flow wow. out. I mean, the transcription. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, you know I think we have to do about three or four more of these until we can see where. Where, where, what direction we're headed in, but yeah, if you can talk about right. sort of being and 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 if you have, now that you have time to think about it, specific examples of when you were beating the hell out of yourself for for or feeling shame or feeling fear, and then saying, "Damn it, I'm not going to let this own me. I'm not going to yeah, let yeah. this okay. take my life. I'm going to keep living and being the fucking you know naughty boy bass player." You know that these are. The and I get. I get. Not only do I get what you're looking for, but I get why you're looking exactly. for it. I hear you. Exactly. All right. I do. I hear you. All right. Okay. Straight ahead. You have a great day, man. Me too, man. Thank great to hear so you, much. man. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jake. Good to talk to you. Cheers, you. man. Later. Bye.